If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, I'm going to need you to bear with me a little bit today. I had one of another Micah moment on Friday night. I was up here with our youth. Um, they were doing Mission Impossible, and I said, hey, why don't I just join them and run around and act like a youth for a little bit? And about uh, maybe five minutes in, it might have been 10, I'll stretch it and say 15 minutes in, I'm chasing a youth right over here. And all of a sudden, my head got in front of my toes, and next thing I knew, I did the, the greatest, prettiest Pete Rose slide right into our gravel over here. I mean, if it had been on a, a baseball field, it would have been beautiful. The fact that it was in a, a pile of rocks made it a little less beautiful. So I am bruised up from uh, both my elbows all the way to my, my knees, and uh, I'm, just, I'm just me. Thank <laughs> Thank you for loving me for me. But uh, we come today to, um, and we jump back into our series, uh, the I Am series, where we are walking through some amazing statements of Christ found in the Gospel of John, where Jesus uses the personal name for God, I Am, and then he attaches an idea um, to it that points to him as being God. This is the point. He's saying, this is who I am. I am God. I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the, the true vine. And my continued prayer through this series is that we would behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. And through beholding Christ, we would be changed. We would be changed and transformed into to his image. And this morning we come to the picture of Jesus as the door, where Jesus declares that he is the door of the sheep. And before we jump in, let me, let me just uh, say something I pray that we come to understand, that we are a people who worship Jesus as Savior and Lord. We worship him. And I, I think it's important for us to let that sink in for just a minute, that we are here worshiping Jesus, for there are places in this world where doing what we're doing will get you killed. Doing what we are doing right now and worshiping Jesus will get you killed. One such place is, is Egypt. According to the International Mission Board, 28 unique people groups live in, in Egypt, we call Egypt home. 27 of those are considered to be um, unreached, meaning less than 2% of people um, in these areas are Christian. Um, half of those are considered to be unengaged, meaning there is um, no effort right now um, to, to plant a church in those regions. And the reason is, of course, it's tough. It, it's not easy to get in. It's not easy to, to do so. And just think about Egypt. As Islamist groups have, have grown in power over the last 20 years, there's been an increase in, in violence between Muslims and the Christian minority. The country's constitution itself gives preference to Muslims over Christians and makes sure that Christians um, aren't provided privileges um, such as um, political representation and, and even employment. Converting to Christianity is not illegal in Egypt, but most who convert from Muslim to, to Christianity, or from Islam to Christianity, are imprisoned for despising um, Islam or for inciting strife. So just think about that, and then think about the context that we live in. So we live in a world where people um, a few hour plane trip away from us are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ, and then we live in a context where people who proclaim to be Christians 
tip the hat to Jesus or just um, very flippantly declare that they have faith in him. And just understand this morning that we are called to much more than that. We are called not just to admire Jesus, not just to learn about Jesus, not just to follow Jesus. We are called to worship him. And he is worthy of our worship. We worship him as the eternal, as the uncreated, omnipotent, all-wise creator, sustainer, and redeemer of the universe. He is God, one with the Father, one with the Spirit, and we worship him. And this is the context that we come to in in John chapter 10. So just follow with me real quick. In between John chapter 8 and John chapter 10, we have what? John chapter 9. Okay, good job. So in between John 8 and John 10, we have John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, an amazing thing unfolds. This man who was born blind um, throughout the chapter, he is healed. Um, he, he, He receives his sight, but then something happens. His vision becomes clearer and clearer um, until at the end of the chapter, he is on his knees worshiping Jesus Christ as Lord. In the same chapter, though, the eyes, the spiritual eyes of the Pharisees grow darker and darker. The division over Jesus could not be any wider. The Pharisees choose blasphemy and a man once born blind chooses worship. So couldn't have a Bigger division here. Some choose blasphemy and blaspheme Jesus. Another one chooses worship. And he's kicked out of uh, the temple. You would think that the Pharisees would celebrate the fact that he was once blind and now he can see. But no, instead they don't celebrate it. They kick him out because he's a threat to them. So this is the context of John 10. In the words of John Piper, there's no bridge between John chapter 9 and John chapter 10, because there's no break. Jesus continues to talk to the the same group. And understand this, and these words sound harsh to us, or if we read them all, they sound harsh. But what Jesus is doing is is he is going after the heart of the Pharisees. He, He wants them. He's declaring truth after truth to them. He's pursuing them by unpacking this picture of, of sheep, unpacking this picture of him being the door, and then next week we're going to look at him as the the good shepherd. But this morning we're going to look at this picture of Jesus saying, I am the door. And D.A. Carson said this, this is a, a proverbial way of insisting that there is only one means of receiving eternal life, only one source of knowledge of God, only one fount of spiritual nourishment, only one basis for spiritual security, Jesus alone. There's one, Jesus alone. And the unfortunate reality is the world around us is still seeking humanistic and still seeking political saviors. And then far too late, they learn that these false saviors are thieves, are killers, and are destroyers. So in the midst of a people who are walking through wrong doors and trusting those doors as if they had a right to trust them, Jesus comes on the scene and declares himself as the true door. So let's read this text together this morning. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to read John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10 together. So John 10, verses 7 through 10 together. And it says this, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, 
Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Let's pray together. Father, we come to your word today. We come to your son, Jesus, as our door to you. God, help us to see the beauty of this. Help us to see the seriousness of this, God. Help us to see the grace in this. God, help us not to miss this picture of who Jesus is to, to us and to the world that we live in. And help us, God, not to keep it to ourselves, but help us to declare it. Oh, God, just speak to us today through your Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. So think about this. We're going to jump into this more next week. But all throughout Scripture, we are called sheep. So let me just break that down to you. That means that we are dumb, that we are helpless, that we are fearful, and we are prone to wonder. And in case um, you're wondering... Yes, that is who we are. And, and I said we. And as sheep, we are continually threatened by thieves and robbers, according to Jesus. And those thieves and robbers are motivated by the thief, the one who has come only to steal and to kill and to destroy. Yet by God's grace, there is a door that leads to rest, to safety, to satisfaction, and to abundant life. And so this morning in the time that we have left, I want us to focus on three truths pertaining to Jesus Christ as the door. And I pray that these truths would be just absolutely um, earth-shaking, that would absolutely um, encourage us, um, remind us of some truths that we need to be reminded of. So the first truth is this. Jesus is the exalted door. He is the exalted door. In verse 7, Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. And then in verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. And the reality today, I think about this, is that we are a room filled with people who we have entered many different doors throughout our lives, have we not? We've entered many different doors. Um, even some, maybe even now, are being enticed to enter doors that promise life or that promise gain or that promise pleasure, promise hope, promise peace. But in the very end, those doors lead to death. It's what the picture is. And here's the truth. There's, there's only two doors, really, that exist. One is the door to death, and one is the door to life. And the, there's another reality that when we are born, we enter into the door of physical life, which unfortunately to us is the door of death because we are born into sin. Remember, we don't, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Um, That's who we are. We're born into to sin. And because of our sin, we are headed to the door of spiritual death. We all are. We are all headed to that reality. You know, we live in a world where many people assume that as long as they don't mess things up too bad, um, in their time here on earth, that they will automatically enter heaven when they die. That's the world that we live in. But Scripture says the opposite. Scripture tells us that God created us for heaven, but as we rebelled against Him, and we are all participants in, in that, 
Because we participated, we are now destined for hell. Please hear this. Therefore, hell, not heaven, is our default destination. So the, the default destination of us is not heaven. Because we are sinners, our default destination is, is hell. No, no matter how small we might think our sin is, we are all deserving of its agony. And that reality makes me think of what Charles Spurgeon said. These are such weighty things that when I dwell upon them, I feel far more inclined to sit down and weep than to stand up and speak. You just think about that reality. And maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, how is that fair? How is an eternity of punishment fair for only 70 years of sin? You know, maybe that's our thought. I only sinned for 70 or 80 years. How is an eternal punishment fair? And to answer that question, one theologian put it like this. I love this response. He said, a few years ago, my wife and I visited one of Berlin's most famous art museums, failing to notice a line on the floor that ran around the perimeter of, of each room about two feet from the wall. I enjoyed getting close up to the paintings. As I stood a few inches from one of the paintings, I had one of those sudden crazy impulses. What would happen if I raised my elbow and stuck it straight through the painting? Anybody ever been there? <laughs> Thankfully, I resisted the impulse. Eventually, one of the museum attendants pointed to the line on the floor and told me I had to stand behind it. The paintings were so valuable that they didn't want me to get within two feet of them, let alone to put my elbow through one. The penalty for destroying a Rembrandt or a Monet at this art gallery would be greater than the penalty for destroying a postcard of the same painting being sold in the gift shop. Suppose I jab scissors through a Rembrandt. I may be physically tackled by security, and I will surely face significant uh, financial penalty and time in prison. But suppose I jab scissors through a postcard of the same painting in the museum gift shop. I will almost certainly not be tackled unless the gift shop attendant is overly zealous. Rather, I will owe a couple of euro to the shop, and I may not be welcome back. Then he says this, why the drastic difference in penalties? It's the same painting. The difference is that the original is more valuable than a postcard of the original. The seriousness of an offense is related to the worth of the one or thing which is offended. And understand this, brothers and sisters, sin gains its wickedness because of the one it offends. I mean, just follow with me here. If you, you're walking today and you step on a flower and you crush the life out of the flower, no one cares. If you punch a hole in the wall, you're going to have to pay for, to fix the wall. If you punch a dog, that's a little more serious. If you punch a woman behind you in the line at the grocery store, you're going to jail. And if you walk up to our president and raise your fist at him, something worse then jail might happen to you. I mean, this is the reality that we live in. And think about this. We have all done worse. We have all done worse. We have sinned, all of us, against an infinitely holy God. We have offended God. There is no one more valuable in the universe than Him. In terms of this analogy that we just said, we haven't pierced the postcard. We've pierced the priceless painting. We've sinned against it. God is the most valuable thing 
being in the universe, and we have all offended him. And maybe you're wondering right now, what in the world does what we just say have to do with Jesus as the exalted door? Because that maybe doesn't seem to correlate with you, but let me, I pray that this would become clear. All of us, every one of us in this room have walked through door after door pursuing sin, pursuing pleasure, pursuing things that we think will satisfy Yet in the midst of our journey through these doors leading to sin and death, Jesus came and he declared himself to be the door. He is a sinless door in the the midst of sinful ones. He is the saving door in the midst of damning ones. He is exalted in his position as Lord and he is also exalted in his purpose as Savior. He is exalted through his earthly work and he is exalted through his eternal worth. He is not one among many. He is the one and only. He is the one and only. In fact, in Philippians 2, Paul says this, God has highly exalted him and given him, bestowed upon him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow. Of those on earth, those um under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is the exalted one. He is the one and only, which leads to the second truth. Jesus is the exclusive door. And this is where, this is where many in the world will jump off. This is where many in the world don't want to hear. Jesus said in verse 7, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. This is the same thing Jesus claims in John 14. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And what Jesus is claiming here is to be the exclusive, only door to God. Think about this. Just as there was only one door in the ark, just as there was only one entrance into the tabernacle, there is only one way to God, and it is through Jesus. The Bible is very clear on that. In the words of Timothy George, God has one and only one plan of salvation for everybody, everywhere. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. In Christ alone. So we get to verse 7. Here's what's happening. When Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep, what he was referencing is what took place in that day. For when a shepherd would lead his sheep away from home base, oftentimes they would end up too far away from home base in order to go home. So instead of just letting the sheep run wild at night while the the shepherd slept, because, you know, if you leave or let or allow the sheep to run wild at night, they become a recipe for lamb chops. It's kind of what would, would happen in that day. So instead of allowing that to happen, what the shepherd would do is he would build a sheepfold. Maybe he would have one already built out of stones. Um, it would have four walls and an opening. But most of the time, they were built out of, out of briars and, and different types of shrubs. They would build around, and they would have an opening. Of course, they didn't have time or they didn't have the ability to create a door. So what would happen is the sheep or the, would come in and then the shepherd would sleep in the doorway. In essence, get this, the shepherd would become the door. The, the sheep could not get out without going through him and nothing else could get in without going through him. Just a beautiful thing. 
And so when Jesus is saying here, I am the door, what he is saying is the only way in and the only way out is through me. This is who I am. And it's a beautiful thing. It's going to get even more beautiful next when we look at Jesus as the, the good shepherd. Yet the point is very clear here. Don't miss this. Salvation will not be found in a, in a system. Salvation will not be found through an organization. Salvation will not be found through a set of rules. Salvation will not even be found through a church. Salvation will only be found through Jesus Christ alone. Alone. Let me say it again. Alone. He alone is the door of the sheep. In this passage, what Jesus is saying is this. It's a beautiful Greek translation. He's saying, I myself am the door. In fact, he says this seven different times in the book of John. In John 6, Jesus says, I myself am the bread of life. In John 8, I myself am the light of the world. John 10, where we're at today, I myself am the door. John 10, 11, I myself am the good shepherd. In John 11, I myself am the resurrection and the life. John 14, I myself am the way, the truth, and the life. John 15, I myself am the true vine. In every single instance here, Jesus is using the same construction, I myself am. And what he is doing is he is excluding any other possibilities. Someone has said this, this is sentences filled with bad grammar, but great theology. Seven sentences filled with bad grammar, I myself am, but filled with great theology. For Jesus exclusively is and forever will be these things to us. And the world writes this off. Please hear this. The world writes this off as being closed-minded. The world writes this off as being intolerant. Let me tell you what the world says. Imagine that you and I find ourselves in a burning building. And this building is on fire. And there is only one door of escape. There's only one way that will lead us out of the building into safety. And imagine me looking at you, looking at you and saying, there's only one way out. Follow me to safety. Follow me through this door. And imagine you looking at me saying, that is so closed-minded. I can't believe that you would say there's only one way. How, how prideful are you to say there is one way? I mean, just think about this. We live in a world that calls us as Christians prideful because we declare that there is one way to God, which is not our declaration. It was Christ's declaration. And let me just say this. Some of us struggle with saying, well, why is there just one way to God? Did you know that the answer or the the overall question of the Bible is not, why is there one way to God? The question of the Bible is, why is there any way to God? Why is there any way? Because we're so sinful, why is there any way to God? And the answer is because he is gracious and he is loving and he is kind. And therefore, we can sing songs like when when he was on the cross, we were on his mind. Oh, we praise him for his grace. Praise him for who he is. He is the exclusive door. And then the third truth is this. So he's the exalted door, the exclusive door. And then Jesus is the extending door. He is the extending door. Jesus says, verse 9, I am the door. Hear this. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and will go out 
and find pasture. And then he says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come. They may have life and have it abundantly, have it more abundantly. So in one sense, we say, yes, Jesus is the exclusive door. There is only one way to the Father. It is through him. And that is bad news for anyone who is looking to bypass Jesus. So if you don't want to go through Jesus, that's bad news. For anyone who doesn't want to acknowledge their need for him, that is bad news. But let me tell you this. It is good news for those who have come to the end of themselves. It is very good news for those who have realized that we cannot save ourselves. For according to Jesus, this door, hear this, is available to anyone. Anyone. Listen to what Jesus says. If anyone... Let me, tell you some, let me tell you good news today. This room is filled with a lot of anyone's. Anyone's of people that Jesus was talking to. And so the beautiful thing is this. This anyone who will come to Jesus and receive him for who he is. He is Savior and he is Lord. Anyone who, who does that will enter into a relationship with God and will have life more abundantly. And abundant life is not about having stuff. Abundant life is about having God, and we have him now, and we will have him forever and ever and ever. Abundant life is about only what God can offer, and here's the beautiful thing. Only God can offer eternal life. In fact, I will say it this way. Jesus is the only Savior of sinners in the world, but he is a good Savior. As the hymn writer said, Hallelujah, what a Savior. What a Savior that we have. And I, I love what Jesus does here and what the rest of the New Testament does here. So imagine Jesus standing before the Pharisees, reintroducing himself, seeking to capture their hearts and saying to them, I am the door. And then think with me about a door. And you look up here, a door has a frame. And what Jesus is saying and what the rest of the New Testament says is this, I'm the door. And in my very frame is love. For Romans 5, 8 tells us that God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus says, I am the door, and in my very frame is grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. Jesus says, I am the door, and in my very frame is mercy. Ephesians 2 says, because of his great mercy towards us, he is so merciful. Jesus says, I am, I am the door, and in my very frame is forgiveness. Ephesians 1.7 says, in him, meaning Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. And then Jesus says, I am the door, and in my very frame is joy, is peace, is kindness, is goodness, is faithfulness. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And hear this. Many in our world have chosen to reject the one, the one and only door, who is all of that to us. And the sad truth is this. If we won't accept salvation... If we continue to push God away, 
if we continue to insist on subverting his will and exalting our own will, what more can God do? In fact, C.S. Lewis said, in the end, there were only two groups of people in the world. Those who say to God, thy will be done, or those to whom God says, your will be done. There's only two kinds of people. Those who say to God, God, your will be done, or those to whom God will say, okay, your will be done. Have it your, your way. To miss Jesus the door is to continue to walk in darkness because he is the light of the world. To miss Jesus the door is to continue to walk in death because he is the bread of life. To miss Jesus the door is to continue to walk in lies and to walk um, in false hope. But what is so encouraging, what is so encouraging in this story, what is so encouraging in the message of Jesus is there's hope. There's hope for the hopeless. There's hope for those who have come to the end of themselves. And let me say this. If you are here this morning and you are still walking in death or walking in darkness or walking in hopelessness, I can say confidently that Jesus is after your heart. You're here today because Jesus is after you. He is after your heart in this moment. He is inviting you because you are in anyone. So therefore, he is inviting you to enter into a relationship with him and come to know him as the good shepherd, as we're going to see next week. But here's the, here's the awesome thing about coming to Jesus as the door. Don't miss this. When we come to Jesus as the door, the, the chains that enslave us, the sins that consume us, the death that invades us, the darkness that envelops us, the fear that overwhelms us, hear this, cannot go through the door with us. Those things cannot go through the door with us. Why? Because the door has overcome them. The door has defeated them. Death is defeated. Darkness is defeated. Our fears have been defeated. Why? Because perfect love cast out fear all those things are gone so may today be the day if you are outside of the door may today be the day that you enter in through this door and then let me say this for those of us in this room who have entered this door may we today with the highest gratitude thank jesus again for being the door thank him again for being the way to salvation for being the one and only way to God, for being the one who we have entered in through him and we are forever, eternally grateful. That God didn't need us, but he loved us. And therefore, he provided a way for us. And this way is not harsh. This way is not demanding. This way is, is not prideful. It's not condescending. This way is true. And this way leads to life. And this way is loving. And this way is gracious. And this way captures us in a way that sets us free. Oh, today that we would either come through that door and walk through that door or that we would find ourselves celebrating and, and just absolutely praising and thanking God for the door of Jesus for us. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to enter into this time of invitation, time of, of consecration. And what we say is this, if God is asking you to do anything,
from this time, do it. Do what he says. I, I pray that this would be a place of freedom, a, pl- a place where the word says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom to do what God is telling us to do. So let's pray together. Father, we come before you today. And Lord, this is not a, a new message. This is not a message that we haven't heard. Lord, we know the truth of this. We know what the word of God says. We know, Jesus, what you say. We also know what the world around us says. And God, I just pray today for anyone in this room or who will be in this room who doesn't know you, that they would not let the lies of this world keep them from going through the door, which is Jesus. God, I pray for anyone in this room in this moment, God, that has never walked through that door, that in this moment, in this time, they would find themselves for the first time turning away from their sin, turning away from trusting in themselves, and turning to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives. Lord, your word says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. It's the same picture. Anyone who will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Oh God, we pray for that reality across this room, for any who do not know you. But we also pray, God, for for all the believers across this room, God. And Lord, we have to confess that so often, Lord, if we're going to be honest, and this is a good place to be honest, we, we kind of grow accustomed to hearing messages about Jesus as our Savior. And to be honest, we we kind of don't have the same excitement that we once did. And God, forgive us. Forgive us, God, for getting over what you have done for us. God, I pray that in a fresh and a new way that you would help us, God, to never get over what you have done in taking us who were dead in trespasses and sins and bringing us to life in Jesus Christ alone. God, help us not to get over it, Lord. Help us to, again, have a a sense, God, of gratitude over what you have done for us and help us not to get over it, God. God, I just pray that that gratitude would see us through this week and may we maintain that gratitude. May that gratitude see us into next Sunday, Lord willing, that we'll be here worshiping you together, God. See us into Easter and a time of celebrating what you have done for us. Help us to never get over your salvation. God, we just love you. We praise you. We need you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.